Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Dr. Moore, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Good morning, man. How your brothers doing? We're doing great. Hey, Gio, you're a brother now. I know. How about that? Hey, welcome to the club. I can't wipe the smile off my face. <laughs> Hook them horns, doctor. Can I still get a Likewise, cab outside? Or? Can you? Can you... <laughs> no. All there right. go your cab privileges uh... in New York City. <laughs> Dr. Moore just ruined them for you. Let me get this right, Doc. And I'm usually wrong about stuff, but I am not on Wikipedia today. So hopefully okay. I have this right. You finished high school with a one point six grade point average. Yeah, man. Don't tell a lot of people that, but yeah. And then you went on to get a bachelor's degree in history from Jackson State University. How the hell did they admit you with a one point six grade point average? And then you got a PhD from the Ohio Ohio State University at the age of twenty six. Really? Yeah, man, it, it just kicked in, man. You know, I, I was a black suburban kid, just, you know, not really interested in school and I went to Jackson State and the professor cussed me out my third semester. You know, and um, that kind of that kind of triggered it for me, man. So I turned things around, and uh, I didn't realize how easy school was, Brian. If you actually study, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? That's interesting you say that because I go back after the NFL and and just knock it out of the park. And while I was playing there at UT and also at UCLA prior to UT. I would just make sure I was eligible to play. I wouldn't do anything right. during football season. And then you're on the dean's list during the, the spring <laughs> semester. So I, I'm like you. It finally kicked in. Now, you have worked with many high-profile athletic programs. That's why I wanted to have you on the show because I have been yep. – we and we have been discussing – my brother here uh, – <laughs> we have been discussing uh, just the lack of diversity in hiring practices at the collegiate level. We know we have the Rooney Rule at the NFL level. But at the collegiate level, I mean, I'm watching all these jobs come off the board here uh, recently. Just yesterday, Oregon State tabbed uh, one of their former players, offensive coordinator from the University of Washington. No head coaching experience, but, yeah, he gets a job in a Power 5 school. When you're talking, when you're working with the likes of a Nick Saban and a Les Miles in the past, Mark Rick when he was at Georgia and now at Miami, you know, a Mac Brown there at the University of State, what are you saying to these coaches and the administrators at these particular institutions about diversity the thing about administrators man and let me say this man most people we're going to hire who we know who we're comfortable with you know and my i'm a vp at the university of texas if i'm not careful brian i will hire all middle class black folk you know what i'm saying yeah. because that's the world that's the world i operate in so to say it's racist i think that's a bit too far I think these good old boys are hire people they know. For instance, Ray Anderson is about to hire her. Matt was at Arizona State. Mm-hmm. That's his boy. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and from a personal man, I had, a, I had an interview for, for a dean's position at a prominent Big Ten school. And when I was interviewing with them, there was a good old boy in the back of the room. And throughout the interview, Brian, I could tell he was thinking, can this young brother raise money from our rich white alums? And he came to the conclusion that I couldn't. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so what I tell ADs, man, you got to bring black folk into your circle. But we as black folk, Brian, we got to admit that we got to be willing to do some of the tough stuff, like going to play golf with white folks. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Going to hobnob in places where we may not feel 100% comfortable. So I think, man, it's, 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 we need more opportunities, but we have to make sure that we're doing everything we need to do to be in the network. And secondly, I'll say this, man, it's tough for some of these black assistants. If I'm a black assistant at Texas making 400000 Brian, am I going to jump off that train and go get a job at a mid-major where I may make less money or the same amount of money? So some guys say, you know what, I'm an assistant at Texas Alabama. I'm just going to ride this out for 25 years because I got a good life. Do you think that the Rooney rule is working in the NFL and could something like that work in college football as well? Yes, I think, I think it is working. There, there is a value in going through the interview process. I've talked to a lot of guys in the league, and they said, Doc, I'm not going to be a token interview. I'm like, brother, you need to go interview to find out what the process is like. That's how Mike Tomlin got hired at Pittsburgh. And so we can never, man, turn down an opportunity to be in front of owners or be in front of decision makers. Could it work in college? I don't know. The one thing I think black assistant coaches have is that when you look at these teams, man, 80 90% black. You know what I'm saying? So I think what you'll start to find is that these players, some of these young men are going to start to demand um, that some of these head coaches be African-Americans. Well, what as far as the Rooney rule, it has worked. And our buddy Anthony Land, he said just going through the process, knowing he probably wasn't going to land the gig, but now he knows what that process entails as far as that Rooney rule and interviewing, and he finally got his shot uh, there with San Diego. Now at the collegiate level, you have something called the pledge. But it's not binding, and and and, 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 and there's a pledge, and they always bring it up each and every year at these AFCA meetings, but yet no one really takes it uh, as a serious endeavor. Right. I mean, I think, I think the recruits are going to have to start demanding it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was amazing when Charlie Strong was here, the number of recruits he brought through Texas and the number of people he could get an audience with just because he was an African-American. And you know, Brian, historically these colleges have used – these top black assistants as recruiters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You go to the inner city, you go to the hood, you go interact with, with the family, and then you let the head coach come in and close. And black assistants have been being used like that, man, for the last two to three decades. Gio and Jones with Dr. Leonard Moore, history professor at the University of Texas and the founder of the Black Student Athlete Summits. You think the main problem is, as you mentioned, that you believe there's not enough people who are hiring that believe that a black head coach could help in with the boosters. For example, Red McCombs with Charlie Strong, he made that comment of, oh, I think maybe he'd be a good coordinator, right? Uh, so, you, so, so you think that's where it's at. Do you think that maybe winning at a high level trumps that? Like if, if you have a, a national champion head coach, black head coach, do you think that'll open more doors or are these individual bases with the with the boosters in a particular university? I think it's a lot easier in basketball than football. Um, I think it takes a very courageous athletic director. Now, Steve Patterson, when he was AD at Texas, everybody came to the conclusion he was an a-hole, all right, Mm -hmm. for a whole host of reasons. But sometimes it may take that kind of personality, not to hire one black coach, but to hire two. He hired Charlie Strong and Shaka Smart. You know what I mean? So an an AD has to be very courageous. Because, again, you were talking about, when you talk about these head football coaches, you know, pretty much in some places the most powerful person in the, st- in the entire state. And so these ADs got to get it right, man. And it's a big risk for ADs to hire black, black coaches, man. Yeah, yeah, it is. I was watching one of your videos, one of your interviews, and, and you, you talked about a word that uh, we abhor here, especially when it's used in conjunction with sports, privilege. Yeah. 
and, and, and some coach way back when came up with that as a teaching and a motivational technique. It's a privilege to be on this field. As if, and, and most people uh, don't know the meaning of privilege. It's a right. It's something that's granted to you. Nothing is granted to you on the court, on the football field, what have you. And, and uh, speak to that, please. Well, I think it's funny because, you know, these coaches on the first day of, you know, summer school or camp, they'll tell these guys, you know, it's a privilege to be here. And I'm like, hold on a minute, coach. You've been recruiting me since I was in the ninth grade. You've been texting me every other day, calling me, coming to my games. And the analogy I give, Brian, if I invite Gio to my house for dinner, I invite him 15 times. And then he finally comes on the 16th time and I say, you know what, Gio, it's a privilege for you to be here. You're going to be like, hold the hell on a minute, Doc. You invited me to dinner. <laughs> but, but what happens, Brian, is that these kids are getting recruited. See, when these kids are 15, they have the upper hand on the coach. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Jim Harbaugh sleeping in people's living rooms and all that nonsense. But then when they sign with the school, that's when the de-recruiting occurs. I mean, some of these young men across the country were telling me, Dr. Moore, this coach recruited me since I was in the ninth grade. And then my first day on campus, my first month, the coach wouldn't even speak to me. And the coach won't return my parents' phone calls. So that's the de-recruiting process where the coaches have to, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. recoup, recoup the power they've given over to the high school kid once they get on campus. You're seeing a lot of black professional athletes get involved in politics more than we've seen in well since back the the Jim Brown era, um, and and rightfully so with with the climate. Uh, what what is your take on some of the uh, protests and, and the way that today's professional athlete is trying to get the word out? Um, I like it, but then I don't like it. I like the fact that these brothers and sisters are finding their voice, but I don't like the fact that we as a society and we as black folk, you know, put all this pressure on 21, 22, 23-year-old black men who have a short professional life. For example, all the killing that goes on in New Orleans, Eli and Peyton Manning are never asked to go back to inner city New Orleans where they are from and rebuilt New Orleans. But a lot of these black athletes, you know what I'm saying, we put all this pressure on them, you know, don't stand for the flag and all this kind of stuff. And I think, man, a lot of that pressure should be placed upon black professionals who got money, who got careers, and you know what I'm saying, who have some degree of financial security. It is a lot to ask a 21-year-old not to stand for the national anthem. When I go to my daughter's basketball game she plays in high school, um, I don't mind standing for the flag, but you feel, you feel pressure you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. just to acquiesce. Mm -hmm. So so to ask these young brothers to do that stuff, man, we're putting way too much pressure on them. Yeah, I would agree with that that assessment. Now let me ask you about the uh, Missouri phenomenon and all this. A couple seasons ago, the football players went say, we're not showing up, and uh, all they saw there in the SEC was uh, the loss of a lot of dollars because of the racial strife that persisted there on, on, on campus, and that got folks to move and do some things right. and change some things there on campus, and Missouri's still dealing with the, the fallout from that. But you, do you foresee more of that occurring? I, here's what I tell presidents and athletic directors. Your school is one incident away from a Missouri. These young people are conscious. Black Lives Matter got them conscious. Kaepernick got them conscious and all this kind of stuff. And I tell these ADs and athletic directors, you need to meet with your black athletes at least once a month just to find out how things are going on. Now, here's the problem. A lot of head coaches are control freaks, you know. Mm -hmm. And so one SEC athletic director in the SEC said, Dr. Moore, I was meeting with my black athletes every month, but the head coaches didn't like it. The head coaches thought that the AD was stirring stuff up. No, the AD realized. If we have one more Charlottesville-type incident, man, it 
it could be over. And these young people are organized in ways that the head coach nor the athletic director can't even imagine. Dr. Leonard Moore is our guest, history professor at the University of Texas and the founder of the Black Student Athlete Summit. What are some of the things with the Black Student Athlete Summit that you try to accomplish? Brian, what we want, I came up with this summit because I would get calls from ADs across the country about, Dr. Moore, how do I deal with the race issue? You know, and they, they, don't, they didn't know how to deal with it, man. So we put on a three-day summit, and it's not really for black student-athletes. It's for people who work in athletics and who touch the student-athlete. You know what I mean? How do we help them see that, you know, how do we help athletic departments? Um, you know, how do you build a structure? You're bringing brothers from the hood. How do, you, how do you create a structure at USC or UCLA, Brian, that's literally white, but now you're bringing these brothers on campus, and the, and the value system is totally different. Mm-hmm. We talk about everything from mental health, everything from postgraduate opportunities, and we and we really try to put emphasis to the ads. We want ads to be ads and quit giving their power over to the head coach. So, man, we, it's a three-day summit. We get about 300 people, and it's a phenomenal gathering, and it's been very productive. What? Uh, give us a sense of the the lay of the land there at the University of Texas. Man. Man, man, the job at Texas is tough. I, let me say this first of all. The black student-athletes at Texas, they have the best support structure in the country. So there shouldn't be a single black athlete, male or female, who leaves Texas and says, well, Texas did me over. They, they interact with black professors. We got a strong black support structure, black mental health counselors. So the black folk at Texas can't complain. <laughs> all right? <laughs> but as it relates to the football field, Brian, it's a tough job, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, you know, we get caught up in this weird Texas stuff, but I think most people went to Texas. I told a group of alums just the other day, Texas is very similar to UCLA academically. You know, if you went to Texas in the 70s, 80s, and 90s in the first part of the century, if you applied now, you wouldn't get in. Texas had 53,000 applications this year for 7,000 slots in the freshman class. Mm. And wow. so you got these former Longhorns who want to create this Alabama-type environment. It ain't happening here. And further, Austin is no longer a college town. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are a lot of options for the entertainment dollar in Austin, Texas. So it's not – it's a different job, man. And I don't think people realize that until they get here. How well, tough it is. Well, lastly, I'll ask you, uh, how confident are you in, in what you're offering and, 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 and uh, promoting is in your initiatives and, and how – how confident are you that we are making progress, whether it's on the athletic field or off, and just in society in general? I think, man, we are making a lot of progress. You know, I, I agree with my man Jason Whitlock sometimes that we get caught up in this Twitter world where Twitter magnifies problems. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what encourages me. When I see a Tom Herman, every week he has these personal development sessions with the team, and they're required to go. Brian, that wasn't happening 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah and how a lot of these coaches now have integrated personal character development into the fabric of, of the team, into the fabric of the, uh, the culture, the fabric of that culture. So I think, man, we are making a lot of progress. we got a long ways to go, though, man, but we, we can't deny that progress isn't being made. What time's dinner? <laughs> oh, oh, well, y'all, y'all, you coming to dinner? Well, you invited <laughs> me 16 hey. times, so I figured I'd finally say yes. Hey, 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 Brian, hey, Brian, I heard the folks down here don't like you, man. They say you be hating on the program. Who, who said that? <laughs> he 
He said you hard on the Longhorns, man. I, I no, I, I was hard on the, the previous, uh, not Charlie Strong, but uh, the, his the regime prior to him. He hated Mac Brown. I did Tom. not hate him. Yeah. That is not true. Let's just cut to the chase. I did here. not hate it. We just had our little run-ins when I was working there in Austin, and and he wanted me to toe the company line. I, I'm not yeah. a company man, and, and so uh, we 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 got a little sideways. Brian, you know what I appreciate about Mac, man. He really looks out for those brothers, even after they finish playing ball for him. And he has never thrown a player under the bus. Yeah, that's true. I give him credit for that. But there's another part that a lot of y'all didn't see. You went in there doing those sessions he and I had. He was he and his henchmen. All right. I, I hold no grudges against the man. None whatsoever. Uh, well, man, well, let me know. Let me know next time you come to Austin, man. We love to get you in front of some students. Man. I, I will. And Gio, the other brother here, appreciate yeah, you joining right. us here on on Gio and Jones. Thank y'all. Appreciate you. Brother. You got it. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.